Hello, Beat Check listeners. I'm Gosia Wozniacka, and I'm the environmental justice reporter at The Oregonian. Today, I'm with Shane Dixon Kavanaugh, Portland City Hall reporter for The Oregonian, Oregon Live. And we're going to talk about PSEP, the Portland Clean Energy Community Benefits Fund. That fund is expected to bring in yet another surplus of tax revenues in the coming years, well beyond what had been projected by the city. So we'll talk about what this sudden influx of money means for Portland and how city leaders would like to spend it. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Gosha, it's a pleasure to be joining you today and Happy New Year. I hope it's been a nice holiday for you and your family. Thank you. And likewise for all of our readers. So for starters, I just wanted to give a very quick background on PSEF. Uh, it's a fund that stems from a ballot measure that was Uh, overwhelmingly approved by Portland voters in 2018. And the money uh, in the fund comes from a 1% tax on large retailers in the city. And it was created originally by leaders from uh, the local uh, communities of color and immigrant communities. So uh, hoping that uh, the fund would help those communities uh, make the energy transition and help them uh, better weather uh, climate change. And so in December, you had a great story uh, that reported that PSEF could see $540 million in unexpected revenue in the next five years. That means that this fund is uh, set to pull in four times more than what the original ballot measure projected when voters approved it. And this is not even the first time we're hearing about a surplus. Why, uh, Shane, why is this fund generating so much money? (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's that's a great place to start when talking about the Portland Clean Energy Fund. And certainly this is probably a good problem for the city of Portland to have right now. But as you mentioned in your brief introduction about the Portland Clean Energy Fund, uh, the, the, the way in which money for this program is is generated is through a small uh, transa- uh, tr- small tax on sales transactions with major retailers uh, that in Portland, Oregon, and that can be both brick and mortar stores, but also online sales also qualify for this tax. And so the the tax is small. It's a 1% surcharge. But as we have learned in recent years and during the pandemic and post-pandemic, a lot of these giant retailers, and when we talk about giant, we're talking about companies that do more than a billion dollars in sales annually nationwide. So we're talking about Walmarts and Targets and Home Depot and Lowe's and Amazon, companies of that size and scale, not your mom and pops. So they have been doing great business in the last few years, and people in Portland have been buying their products like gangbusters. As a result, uh, this fund is producing uh, an amount of money that, I mean, quite simply, is just sort of staggering. When people were talking about creating this fund through a ballot measure in 2018, both the proponents for the measure and then later sort of city revenue forecasters were thinking this program was going to be generating about $50 million, $50 million a year in revenue. Uh, the story that I 
recently reported on showed that it's going to be uh, or uh, a size that is significantly larger than that. We're now talking about a program that's generating upwards of $200 million a year in revenue, um, so nearly four times what the uh, initial projections were. Right, right. It's insane. Uh, and and this insane amount of money comes at a time when city bureaus are struggling financially, and many of our city bureaus are facing budget shortfalls, uh, may have to cut essential programs. And so the surplus money is looking pretty good uh, to our city leaders. Uh, have you heard uh, commissioners uh, in, other, in city bureaus express interest in having a piece of this money through various ways? And is there any fear that this money could essentially get diverted to other purposes? Well, quite frankly, with the proposals that Commissioner Rubio and her Bureau of uh, Planning and Sustainability, uh, the ideas and proposals that they came out with when they announced this unexpected uh, revenue tsunami in December, uh, they were talking about trying to figure out how to quickly spend this money that they weren't expecting to receive. And also s sizing up the fact that uh, Portland bureaus and the city's overall financial health going forward into the next few years is going to be much more precarious than it, than it has been in the last four or five years. And Clearly, there was uh, the initial idea uh, behind the Portland Clean Energy Fund was to focus largely on the city being a repository for generating this money and then essentially giving it to organizations, nonprofits, and community gr groups that could do on-the-ground work throughout Portland among uh communities that have been sort of historically marginalized and who uh, are determined to have sort of are bearing uh, the, the, the most severe impacts from climate change right now. But uh, the, the, the program has had to evolve over time in the last few years, primarily because the fund is generating so much more money than it, quite frankly, then it knows what to do with. And it, at this point in time, the fund has more money than than community-based organizations and nonprofits that are focused on renewable energy pr programs and projects and uh, you know energy efficiency upgrades and things like that. There, there quite frankly is not enough organizations or people doing this kind of work to actually spend the money uh, at the at, at the volume in which it's coming in, so uh, there there's been a slow evolution over the program as it's continued to generate more money than anticipated. So back in uh, September of 2022 was the first time that. Commissioner Rubio and the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. Now, Commissioner Rubio oversees the Portland Clean Energy Fund program, which is housed in the Planning and Sustainability Bureau. Uh, they had made changes to the program over a year ago, basically to be to 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 to, to make it more accommodating for the for for the immediate demands and needs uh, that both the city and these organizations have. 
so back, you know, even a year ago, the program sort of evolved or expanded so that money could go not just to community-based organizations, but also in some instances for-profit companies that work in sort of energy efficiency and environmental resiliency. And also for, uh, there are, were going to be some programs and projects that uh, could qualify for funding coming from various government entities, whether it was the city of Portland itself or Portland Public Schools. But uh, so what we're seeing here with uh, the Commissioner Rubio now looking to put even more money towards city projects through this fund is kind of an extension of that initial evolution. And uh, arguably, it is still attempting to fulfill the intent and the promise that the program had originally, which as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, the, uh, the, the fund is aiming to reduce greenhouse gas emissions within the city of Portland uh, to promote energy efficiency and climate resiliency within particular communities in the city. And at least uh, on paper, the sort of proposals of how this extra money would be appropriated or spent um, arguably would fall in line with sort of the, the the letter of the law, so to speak. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. So it, expanding slowly, who can get this funding uh, because our local nonprofit community organizations just don't have the capacity essentially to absorb uh, these huge amounts of uh, this huge amount of cash. Um, so how is Commissioner Rubio uh, trying to diffuse this tension of, you know, this large pot of money uh, sitting around while city bureaus are struggling. Uh, and what is she proposing to do with this money? Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the real interesting tensions we've s seen uh, with sort of the financial resources for the city of Portland right now, and the way in which it uh, generates revenue for city services or for programs that are managed through the city. And that certain revenues can only be applied to certain government functions. And here we have this program that's supposed to be focused on reducing greenhouse gases, uh, promoting uh, you know, environmental sustainability, climate change resiliency within particular communities in Portland. And it just has literally at this point in time, more money than it really knows what to do with. Meanwhile, uh, there are uh, no shortage of city agencies and bureaus that are currently and historically have been hurting for cash, whether it's the Portland Bureau of Transportation, which is facing uh, a severe uh, financial cliff this next uh, budget year, Play, uh, something like the... Um, you know, the Parks Bureau, for instance, has over $600 million in uh, capital uh, project backlogs. The Portland Fire Bureau does not have enough firefighters and its infrastructure is failing as well. So there has been no shortage of kind of grumbling among other city commissioners who oversee and manage these other bureaus, seeing that this one program is uh, generating and creating all of this money when their bureaus are struggling financially and have sort of talked about for months uh, the possibility of, is there a way to divert or direct some of this money from the Portland Clean Energy Fund to help sort of prop up or sustain 
um, other government programs and services. And essentially, with this uh, you know, uh, surge of unanticipated revenue, Commissioner Carmen Rubio is taking a look around the city of Portland and looking for where there could be sort of budget gaps, uh, financial strain, and revenue shortfalls across a lot of these bureaus and looking for ways to place money into those bureaus that could be used for the very types of projects that are required under the Portland Clean Energy Fund. And <laughs> uh, uh, perhaps somewhat unsurprisingly, uh, her her initial proposal here is talking about $282 million worth of these types of projects across, I think, six or seven different bureaus or agencies, whether it's the Parks Bureau, uh, the uh, uh, the Transportation Bureau, Environmental Services, the Water Bureau. You, you take your pick. I mean, there are you know plenty of infrastructure projects that could be uh, that could be done in a more environmentally friendly energy efficient way uh, there are also just a lot of things that we can do within our built environment that the that local government has sort of um, yeah, you know dominion over in which they could be doing things that once again support the uh, ostensibly support the 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 goals and intent of the program. Right. And, and to be clear, I mean, these are projects that are related to sustainability. So there are things like improving walking and bicycle routes or decarbonizing the city's vehicles or uh, replacing gas powered leaf blowers with battery <laughs> right. operated ones. So it's a, it's kind of an array of uh, projects that are sort of in the realm of uh, climate, uh, environmental sustainability projects. Yeah, and even, and, and even some very kind of in the weeds and obscure things. And I'll just list one as an example because it is related to another issue that I've been writing about and covering for the last couple of years. But uh, some listeners may know this, some listeners may not, but Portland has its own hydroelectric dams that they run and operate uh, up in the Bull Run watershed. And so Portland actually generates a lot of uh, hydroelectricity and has an entire hydroelectric dam portfolio and program. However, uh, these hydroelectric dams uh, and the license to operate them uh, need to be renewed periodically every few decades. And in fact, the city was currently looking at the fact that they were going to have to spend upwards of $10 million literally just to apply uh, to federal regulators to renew their hydroelectric dam permits. And it's this incredibly bureaucratic, lengthy process that was going to cost millions of dollars. And, you know, one of the things that Commissioner Rubio and the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability are proposing is that they could give $11 million uh, of Portland Clean Energy Fund money to the Water Bureau to basically pay for all of the fees to renew its, you know, hydropower permits. I mean, that's just like, that's just one example, but I mean, it's no small amount of money. 10 or $11 million right now is a lot as far as uh, Portland city coffers go. Right, right. Wow. That is indeed in the weeds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
you mentioned, uh, so this was uh, the Bureau of money going to the bureaus would be about half of that surplus money. And then there's the other half. Where's that going to go? Right. I mean, there's another tranche of this $540 million that, uh, that, uh, Carmen Rubio and her bureau is looking to put toward uh, a, a handful of different things, but the the sort of two main buckets are hundred a hundred and forty million dollars, I think it is at least over a hundred million dollars toward uh, energy efficiency upgrades. Uh, with future affordable housing projects. So basically pouring this money into affordable housing development, but making sure that these future affordable housing projects are essentially created in a way in which they are going to be producing the the least amount of uh, greenhouse gas possible. And uh, remind me, Gosha, in you know, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, I mean, transport, you know, transport and transportation is sort of the one of the biggest categories, at least in Portland. Correct. But I think like buildings, uh, you know, whether residential or commercial buildings, constitute something like thirty percent of greenhouse gas emissions in Portland. Do I have that right, or what's yeah. the number? Yeah, yes, that category is is pretty up there. After transportation, it's uh, it's a pretty large category, and so uh, the state and the city are both working to eliminate emissions from buildings. Um, and you know that can take various forms. Uh, it it could be anything from switching out you know the gas stove. Uh, to an electric stove, but it's also making the heating HVAC systems more efficient. So these uh, these homes would have uh, you know heat pumps as opposed to uh, a gas uh, heating system, uh, for example, that would uh, significantly reduce emissions from the these homes. So yeah, you're set. You're correct that that uh, I think she's aiming to make these uh, affordable housing complexes as uh, both uh, reduce emissions, but also make them as energy efficient as possible, which will sort of reach that goal as well. Yeah. And I think there's other sort of green benefits that some of these affordable housing projects to be developed in the future could add on uh, that would also fall within sort of the parameters of the Clean Energy Fund. Like, let's think about uh, large sort of uh, green space or community gardens mm-hmm. um, or, 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 you know, or things of that nature that say uh, a, a housing development initially wouldn't have included something like that because it just didn't pencil out. This right. additional money could, you know, add on some of those additional uh, amenities that also f- fall within that sort of green framework that that PCEF has. Yeah, it could be like solar panels. It could be, you know, charging for uh, electric vehicles. It could be rain gardens. I mean, it's a plethora of things. Yeah. And then, so in addition to uh, a huge chunk of money going toward, uh, you know, greener, cleaner, affordable housing developments in the future, uh, the, the city is now talking about basically picking up the tab for tree maintenance across the city for both residential homes and businesses 
uh, that you know individuals or businesses have traditionally had to pay for. But you know tr- any kind of any type of tree needs or tree maintenance, the city would essentially sort of subsidize for property owners and businesses. You know, over the next few years, I mean, there's even things like that. The, the city is in conversations right now about either sort of doing a massive renovation of the Keller Auditorium or basically building a new equivalent of a Keller Auditorium somewhere else in town. Uh, uh, Carmen Rubio is talking about putting up upwards of thirty million dollars uh, to to make the future Keller. Keller Auditorium as sort of, uh, you know, energy efficient and climate resilient as possible. And I mean, uh, she's even talking about, uh, you know, figuring out ways to put money toward addressing some of the infrastructure needs of the Portland Fire Bureau, and at least, uh, you know, something like 10 or $11 million. But once again, they're really uh, casting a pretty wide net here in terms of how to spend this money, because once again, there's so much money that they don't know what to do with it, quite frankly. Right. And there is such a great need uh, in the bureaus yes. to have that money. So, you know, as you're talking about this, the the, the one question that really is occurring to me is whether uh, Carmen Rubio is allowed to decide uh, who gets the money from PCIF. I mean, the fund has a, a, a pretty specific process that guides the funding decisions. There's a nine-person volunteer oversight committee uh, of, made up of experts and community members, and they basically uh, pick the projects. They recommend projects um, uh, to get funded, and then eventually uh, the city council approves uh, their recommendations. But in this case, uh, it's kind of a, a different story. Well, so in t- so there is still this n- nine-person uh, sort of oversight group for the Portland Clean Energy Fund. Right. Uh, that was that was part of the creation of the program that voters approved in 2018. Uh, but the role of the of of the of the oversight group has changed a little bit, starting back in uh, 2022 when the first changes to the program were implemented by Commissioner Rubio. So originally, this nine-person committee was essentially a grants committee, and they were going to be tasked with essentially reviewing and approving potential projects through this fund. Now, just because of the amount of projects that are going on, the size and scale, and once again, because there's more money than anybody initially anticipated, that nine-person committee is more, they, they proposals will be presented to them, but they're not necessarily going to be reviewing all of them themselves, but they still have to sign off on them. So this whole spending package that is being talked about right now is merely a proposal. I I imagine it's going to undergo some tweaks and changes. Um, How great or small those changes will be remain to be seen. Um, But essentially, this nine-person committee has to approve the proposal before it even goes to the city council. And then ultimately the city council, which includes the mayor and four city commissioners, uh, at least through 2024, they have to they have to vote to sign off on this. So there is a whole process, including this, the, this, this committee of um, uh, experts and community members that are really kind of vetting the, you know, the, each of these proposals and projects. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like what you're saying is that we've moved from 
this committee, this community committee proposing projects to uh, the city, uh, especially in this case, proposing projects and the committee just basically giving their stamp of approval. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I think a, a lot of the vet, sort of the vetting work that we're talking about that the committee first uh, started doing when the program was initially launched, a lot of that review vetting work has now gone toward actual city staff within the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. So they're doing, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of that review work, and there's a whole kind of rubric and scoring system uh, that that is used to determine, uh, you know, whether or not certain projects should uh, be approved or considered for funding through this program. But most of that is now falling to city staff as opposed to this um, nine-person committee. But they still have um, uh, an oversight role to play. And also, they have to, they have to green light any proposal uh, that is made by uh, the commissioner in charge or her bureau before it goes to the city council. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like it's entirely okay for the commissioner to pick the projects. Yeah, I mean, she, I, 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 I don't think uh, Carmen Rubio or her city hall staff were just sort of holed up in a room by themselves, uh, kind of coming up with ways to spend, uh, you know, two hundred eighty million dollars. My understanding is that with these particular projects with the city. They were aware that they were going to be getting um, unanticipated revenue through this fund. They didn't have any idea how much money it was going to be until relatively recently. So they had initiated these conversations with city bureau staff and all of these different agencies and departments basically saying, we think we're going to have some money that could potentially go toward uh, you know, climate and environmentally friendly projects uh, within your bureau. So let so you need to start identifying what we could potentially spend this money on but it has to you know fulfill requirements x y and z so but yeah it, it i think the the what you're sort of teasing out here goja is that the initial program was really supposed to be centered and focused with uh you know Portland community members themselves and representatives or individuals, uh, you know, who are experts in these fields or that come from some of these historically marginalized groups or groups that have been most severely impacted by the effects of climate change and that they would be sort of leading the work. And now (laughs) with all of this additional money at play and at hand, they're sort of, uh, they're effectively turning a lot of that, a lot of that work and vetting and determining what proposals should be greenlit over to the government bureaucracy. And as you mentioned, I mean, this uh, the net is pretty wide in terms of the type of uh, programs that could potentially get funding uh, under Rubio's proposal. Um, and they're saying, you know, Commissioner Rubio uh, is, is is saying that these are uh, true to the fund's intent, despite the fact that they're uh, cast pretty wide. Uh, and I'm wondering what the reader's response has been to your story. You know, what uh, are readers saying about this sort of new direction that PCEF is going in? Well, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, I mean, from the get-go, there's been a lot of interest and attention uh on the Portland Clean Energy Fund 
in part because when it was first created, it was it was essentially uh, one way I've described it in the in my past reporting is that it is Portland's version of the Green New Deal, uh, you know, which is probably something that a lot of our listeners are at least familiar with. But this is this was a uh, sort of novel uh, in a one-of-a-kind program that was being launched. And then we also knew that there was going to be uh, a, lo- a, a lot of money coming in, uh, coming into the initiative. You know, even $50 million a year is uh, quite a chunk of change, let alone $200 million. So people have been really interested in how uh, this money was going to be, how this money is going to be spent, uh, whether or not it was going to meaningfully uh, address, you know, some of the immediate and urgent, uh, you know, climate change concerns within the city of Portland. Could it actually, uh, take a, a a real meaningful bite out of greenhouse gas emissions, for instance, or, you know, is this actually going to, is this money actually going to go toward, uh, being able to, uh, you know, be used effectively to create the most positive impact for some of these communities that have reeled from the uh, effects of climate change in recent years and decades. So uh, people from the get-go have often uh, been sort of critical of how the program has spent its money or what it's, uh, you know, what it's putting the money toward. And so I, I think seeing that this program has even more money now that our readers have continued to s- sort of uh, chime in with their with their various ideas. I mean, I know <laughs> that Eric Fruits, for instance, uh, you, you know, who's a, a long time has run a, a you know used to run and I think might still run uh, a, sort of a libertarian leaning think tank in Portland is saying basically, look, this program is now generating more money uh, than it ever anticipated. So w- why don't we just cut, um, you know, why don't we just cut checks to every Portland family and uh, and sort of give them a, kind of a tax kicker like we have in Salem. And I know that uh, another person who has, uh, talked who's a reader of this coverage and has thought about this program quite a bit is Steve Novick who is a former right. Portland city commissioner longtime environmental lawyer and uh, you know he's continued to sort of pipe up and weigh in on 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 PCEF related issues as well and I think he told me this relatively recently he's looking at the amount of money that is out there and his, his sort of perspective has always been, what is the way in which Portland could spend this money to have the most significant impact on greenhouse gas reductions? And so he has been always advocating that we should be pouring all of this money into transportation-related projects and initiatives because transportation uh, and transport you know, art is sort of the, the the greatest contributor to greenhouse gas, and I think uh, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. And mo- more recently, he was—I I mean, I don't know how seriously he had thought this through, but just sort of his back of the napkin sort of calculations was: I mean, if you've got this two hundred eighty-two million dollars and you want to have a lot of bang for your buck, why don't uh, why doesn't the city of Portland buy a bunch of electric vehicles and give them? to uh and give them to you know individuals who fall within these uh you know marginalized groups um 
he, he you know he's asserting that that alone would uh, you know both uh, you know create climate resiliency for those for you know for those in, uh, you know intended individuals and groups number one and number two would have a much more uh, uh, profound impact on lowering greenhouse gas emissions in Portland so. I, uh, I also heard from him when I was reporting my story on PCEF, uh, and, and so I just wanted to touch base uh, on this idea of, uh, you know, Portland and PCEF getting its bang uh, for the buck. Uh, so when I did the math, when I did a story on PCEF, my analysis showed that the PCEF funding is, is unlikely to actually meaningfully cut the city's carbon pollution. Uh, and that's because it's pouring money into uh, community uh, benefit projects that will uh, essentially benefit a small number of people in a very significant way. And when I did my reporting, you know, the uh, organizers and activists who passed this ballot measure said, well, this was the intent of our fund to help vulnerable Portlanders, low-income folks, people with disabilities, uh, communities of color that are suffering uh, the brunt of climate change. But now the city is basically claiming in its reports uh, and uh, that that this fund is going to significantly, and they use that word, cut uh, climate pollution in Portland, and that is just not the case. And mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering why they continue to underline the carbon cuts. Uh, I mean you know, what gifts? Like, why are they talking about this uh, constantly? (laughs) Well, for starters, I think that this has always been sort of the, one of the fundamental challenges and tensions with the creation of the Portland Clean Energy Fund is that it really has aspired to and sometimes promised that it could deliver on a whole host of fronts and you just sort of named them that uh you know it it you know it can do three or four different things right it can uh, uh you know serve a, a small number of individuals in a significant way and it can be good for uh, it, and and it can be used toward addressing the city's climate goals, and it can actually significantly reduce greenhouse gases, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, 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 from the get-go, um, I think even its you know, staunchest proponents, though they might be saying now that the intent was never to significantly reduce greenhouse gases, I you can go back and read the coverage of this ballot measure from 2018. And it was pretty obvious that voters and uh, news reporters who were covering this ballot initiative and even its supporters were uh, dangling that possibility out there. But like the bottom line is, uh, even with $500 million in additional revenue or a program that's going to generate a billion dollars uh, in revenue uh, over the course of the next several years, it's just, uh, it, even with that amount of money, it can't do all the things it's been advertised as. I mean, it's, 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 it's just that simple. Also, in terms of you asking what gives and why does the city keep talking about this. I mean, 
you know, it's this has been at times an embattled program for a whole host of reasons. And by talking about the uh, the, the, the broader uh, environmental impacts this program could have or its ability to cut greenhouse gas emissions, no matter how slight, I mean, that's just that's how you build political support for a program that at times has been um, very widely criticized. Yeah. And I mean, so much depends on what they decide to invest in. I mean, like you mentioned, uh, Mr. Novak's idea of uh, investing in uh, electric vehicles for Portland families, you know, that as opposed to investing in a, a whole home energy upgrade, which is very beneficial, but extremely expensive. Uh, and so it just you know, the, the, the types of projects that we're investing in really matter. You know, we're not, like city leaders said, we're not investing in a solar farm in eastern Oregon because even though that might lower emissions, uh, you know, in the state, it's not going to help those groups that were identified uh, as needing to benefit from the fund. So it's kind of a balancing act. Right. And once again, uh, one of the initial goals and aims of the fund, and we've talked about this a little bit in our conversation, is that this was supposed to be taking money and uh, it was supposed to provide money and jobs for organizations and individuals from these groups as well. Right. So that's, I mean, it's a, this is another promise of the program is that it's essentially, there, there's a jobs uh, jobs program component with this. It was gonna give uh, a sort of uh, social and environmental justice organizations the ability to expand the types of work they can do by essentially being able to staff up and hire more people. So you're providing more jobs to individuals, more sort of uh, social community on the ground services to people. So, I mean, that's, you know, there's still a huge component of this program that's focused on that then once again, we want to build resiliency within certain communities and we want to cut greenhouse gas emissions and we want to, uh, you know, strengthen the overall environmental footprint of our city. I mean, realistically, uh, and we keep coming back, you and I keep coming back to this. You, you, if you're going to try to do four or five things, you're not going to do any, any one of them particularly well. <laughs> I mean, right. you'll, you'll, you'll make a difference. Uh, you'll do, um, you know, you will, uh, impact, you know, impact all of those different categories, but mm -hmm. you're also st stretching the, the resources of the program. Um, I wouldn't say you're stretching them thin, but you're stretch, you know, but you're really dispersing them across a wide range of different objectives. Right. And, and this brings us back to the current surplus and, uh, sort of the broadening of the scope of, uh, what this fund, uh, could pay for. And I'm wondering, uh, does this beg the question of, you know, should this the city essentially do another overhaul of uh, what this fund is? Uh, should there be changes made that clearly spell out where this funding can go um, and and further broaden, um, you know, what uh, the commissioner, uh, what city leaders can do with this money. I mean, that's, I mean, that's been the story of this program for the last year and a half, right? Yeah. <laughs> is, 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 is further broadening the, 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 the scope of this program. And it would not surprise me if that continues to be the case or looking for ways to, for it to continue to sort of 
evolve and refine itself. All right, Shane. Well, this has been a, a super important conversation. Thank you for sharing your expertise with, uh, with us and with our listeners. And we're going to be following this topic closely in future stories in the Oregonian and or online at OregonLive.com. Uh, I'll drop a few links to relevant stories in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, please give us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast. It helps other people find the show help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to OregonLive.com. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time, thank you and happy new year again to everybody.